0: Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm your host, Caroline Donato.
1: And I'm your co-host, Pete Kratza. Pete, what are we talking about today? Protection from abuse. Your abuse? Yeah, right. Maybe you should get a PFA for <laughs> Um,
0: This is another topic on our mind. Uh, PFAs are something that we handle regula- regularly, uh, and it's something I'm handling on both sides of the aisle regularly now
1: yeah it's interesting because i've only only approached them from the defense perspective the defense side generally speaking when a plaintiff wants to file a pfa and you'll you'll talk about how it's a civil process with some criminal implications oh i'll do that that's my role that's your role you chose this subject um but Caroline has represented plaintiffs, that is, uh, men or women who are seeking a protection from abuse order, whereas I've always come from the defense side, and it is not uncommon for PFAs to be in conjunction with criminal charges, that is, the defendant is either under investigation or already charged with a crime, and the victim then... um, seeks a protection from abuse order as well.
0: So, yeah, a PFA is a civil animal. A person seeking a protection from abuse goes to a civil court through the family court and asks the court to file an order. First, it's a temporary order, keeping the defendant away from them, keeping- Ex parte. It is an ex parte proceeding, but then within 10 days of that- That means that
1: only the plaintiff has the ear of the judge.
0: Yes, that's true. But because it's ex parte, then within 10 days of that ex parte hearing, um, wherein a petition is filed and a temporary order is typically granted, it may or may not be granted, whether or not a temporary order is granted, then there is a final PFA hearing listed within 10 days of that ex parte hearing.
1: So a non-lawyer speak, the plaintiff goes into a judge that uh, the plaintiff talks about all the alleged abuse committed by the defendant and the judge either grants a temporary protection from abuse order and a hearing is scheduled within 10 days that's when the defendant is uh, put on notice that there's a temporary PFA that if they're living in a house for instance if these are spouses get out of the house you're not in the house anymore go live in a in a hotel if you need to you're not allowed to have any contact with your wife you're not allowed to have any contact with your kids if the allegations are that there was some level of abuse with either the the kids in jeopardy or present during you know the the act um, so these can be really disruptive and uh, I won't get on my soapbox chat caroline but the the other option is the judge doesn't grant the temporary PFA, but there's still a hearing scheduled 10 days later where the plaintiff can still try to pursue it.
0: And the hearing 10 days later is for a final order. A final order is a final protection from abuse order, and the statutory maximum for that is three years. Um, and the order can have varying degrees of protection. It could be absolutely no contact. It could be limited contact. It could have custody provisions if children are involved it can have eviction or um, exclusion from residents or other location provisions it can have relinquishment of firearm provisions it can have payment of legal fees or other fee provisions it absolutely always has do not abuse stalk or threaten provisions so that's what the final order is in place for um, pfas to me started coming on my radar mostly in covid when the world shut down no one's out on the street committing crimes because everybody's quarantined but everyone's in home and can't stand one another and people in the home would file for protection from abuse i represented only people on the receiving end of that the the defendants for a long time and then it developed to both i still mostly represent people on the receiving end but i've been representing uh, victims lately and It comes to me in the form of very complicated cases where the defendant actually committed pretty awful crimes that are collaterally investigated and and the victim needs private representation um, and zealous representation to make sure that they are protected. Those allegations tend to involve rape, strangulation, um, threatening to kill. So that that's the situation I'm in when I'm representing an alleged victim or an actual victim. But on the other end, I'm also not in the same case, of course. I'm not representing both the victim and the or the plaintiff and defense defendant in the same case. But I'm typically on the defense side. But recently, there's been more and more on the plaintiff side.
1: Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, I don't can't hear myself now. I can. Um, so. It sounds like the cases that you're getting involved in on the plaintiff side are pretty egregious allegations. My beef, can I get to my beef? Get to your beef with protection from abuse orders are, or protection from abuse petitions and then subsequent orders are that I can't believe I haven't talked about this before are that they that the litigation is abused. Um, I agree with you. The pun is intended. They are not uncommonly in the context of family law, related family law litigation. Parties are getting divorced. Parties are fighting over custody of the children. And then the protection from abuse procedure is weaponized by one spouse to try to get the spouse out of the house or to prevent the spouse from seeing the kids. Um, Now, that's probably not surprising. In family law, the parties tend to hate each other. A lot of family law practitioners, none in our practice, um, kind of foment that anger and and profit from the parties being ridiculous toward each other and and not paying attention to their children. I can say that because I did family law for a little bit and couldn't stand it. But the point is that while it is not uncommon for, uh, or I should say, it, it should not be surprising that if this is available to one of the parties and they want to use it as leverage in family law litigation, okay, that's one thing. But what I will never get over are the ridiculous temporary and sometimes final orders that are granted by judges in those types of cases. The judges are to be the gatekeepers. The judges should see right through What's going on in terms of of somebody trying to weaponize this procedure, and they should end it, and it's easy for them not to frankly it's easier it's easier for them not to. Um, the standard is not very high. it's a preponderance of evidence. It's not like an arena of beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, but I just think the whole procedure, you know the whole ex parte part of it, if I were king of the world, I would do away with that. Well, you want you due have process. The ability, yeah. You have the ability to go in ex parte if you're afraid of that person. I get all that. Okay. But then the defendant gets notice that somebody is attempting to, uh, to get a temporary PFA. They get to go mm-hmm. in separately and make a presentation. That's when I'm king of the world. Now, what people are going to say, well, you know, there's emergent situations and they need to be out. And you okay. get due
0: process within 10 days. Get, get, get due process
1: within three days. You know, work harder, judges. Go, you know, you have the, the one uh, come in, the next one gets to come in within 48 hours, something like that. Um, because what happens is when there's this one, you really got me on a roll, I'm gonna hiss off a lot of judges too. When, when one side goes in and gives their one-sided presentation, they can lie with impunity. They can say, they can vilify the defendant. They can throw whatever they want against the wall. And then it's too late. Frank, it's not too late, but you're swimming upstream because there's been this temporary order. Your client's been vilified. The judge thinks he's, he or she is a horrible person. And then you have to educate the judge if they're willing to listen that, you know what? That, I can prove that that's not true. And over the course of 30 years, I've had judges that they don't wanna hear it. They've made up their mind when they have that temporary, uh, 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 when, when they have the ex parte conversation and they're biased. And that's where I think that PFA litigation can be so frustrating. Um, we have to advise clients that it's not a level playing field, that the judge can use this preponderance standard. There's language within the PFA statute, I call it the catch-all language, where you're, you know, your actions over the course of time have placed somebody in fear of reasonable body, bodily injury. a 5 Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's very broad language. And, it's one of the definitions of abuse. And I will say, and again, I might get in trouble for this, I will say that you know an underlying tone to these is that a judge doesn't want to be the person to deny a PFA and then have something happen. So the default position is going to be they're going to get their PFA. Now that's not true of all judges. It's not true of all the cases that we represent. But I've just had some horror stories in terms of defending these cases and and judges just not really wanting to hear the default position is, yeah, I'm going to give the PFA and then, you know, I'm clean. Um, and then the problem becomes, once there is a PFA, the client's out of their house. The client might still be paying the mortgage, paying the rent, but they're not in the house. Um, the client's uh, custody Um, is uh, removed. Now, it's true that in any PFA, we should mention that they still have the ability, the parties have the ability to go to family court and any subsequent custody order in family court supersedes the PFA. Um, But, you know, oh, and then of course, if you violate the PFA, especially when you have parties that are going through a divorce, and for instance, they need to communicate still about the children, and there's a PFA that's been granted, whether it's six months, 18 months, three years, and one of the spouses alleges that, you know, the, the defendant violated the PFA, well, then they're charged with a crime. That's my gripe. So I don't mind – well, I do mind in many
0: cases about being having a client charged with a crime for a violation of a PFA, but what frustrates me from that angle is once – a client is charged with violating a PFA. If that happens, it's a criminal charge, so so the DA's office gets involved. That should be some gatekeeping, too. One of the things Pete and I tend to do, because we are aware of the risk of uh, having a final order entered against many clients if a judge is hearing both sides of the story at a final hearing, And also, we failed to mention, the burden of proof in a PFA setting because it's civil is preponderance of the evidence.
1: You don't listen to me. I said that.
0: Oh, I missed it. You said so many words. I know. I I said a lot of words.
1: You you know, you got me started. I can't stand um, how abused PFA litigation is.
0: Preponderance of the evidence is like more likely than not. Right. So if it's a he said, she said, and the judge believes what the plaintiff said a little bit more than what the defense said, then they're going to enter some form of a final order. Um, Whereas if you're charged with violating a PFA, you're charged with indirect criminal contempt, it's an ungraded misdemeanor, then you go straight to a trial, a bench trial, and the DA's office has it. Um, Our audience, when we have these cases, is heavily opposing counsel, whether it be the plaintiff's counsel or it's the prosecutor trying to resolve it outside of the case going forth before a judge because the judges tend to err on the side of caution. Um, I think the approach is when trying to do damage control, because as Pete said, from the defense perspective, you are swimming upstream. Well, where are the concerns and how can we address them? Is the concern that the plaintiff's actually really scared? Okay, there's so many things you can do here. You can do certain cooling off periods and then upon, you know, maybe anger management courses or whatever else might be necessary, then the PFA is withdrawn. You carve out exceptions for custody. You carve out exceptions for talking about custody. There's so many ways to navigate this as well, Um, but once you're before a court, it can be an abused process.
1: It's particularly abused, in my experience, by, I'll say, unscrupulous um, family law litigants and their attorneys. What I've found is that, for instance, if you are a plaintiff seeking a PFA and cannot afford private counsel, there will be either domestic abuse lawyers or legal aid lawyers. Um, They tend to be, because they see all these cases, much more fair-minded in terms of dealing with them and trying to figure out a way to resolve a PFA. There are various ways to resolve a PFA without ever placing the uh, client in jeopardy of being found to have committed abuse. There are, like you said, cooling off periods where we agree to continue the thing for six months and then it's withdrawn. Those lawyers, I commend them because you know they do hear the horror stories, but they also see the bullshit, mm-hmm. and they will they will recognize the bullshit. Family law lawyers getting paid by the plaintiff by the hour? Oh yeah, oh gee, you know he or she said this happened, and so we're going to pursue it even like it's even if it's ridiculous. And the language that I was that Caroline and I were referring to, and this is why. You is it 6102A5? Know, knowingly engages in a course of conduct or repeatedly commits acts toward another person, including following the person, without proper authority under circumstances which place the person in reasonable fear of bodily injury. The definition of this paragraph applies only to proceedings commenced under this title and is inapplicable to any criminal prosecution. That's the catch-all language. And what that means, practically speaking, is that in the context, for instance, of a marriage, one uh, spouse can bring in, well, you know what, 15 years ago, spouse did this to me. And 10 years ago, spouse did this to me. And then recently, spouse did this to me. And you can get into all of it. And it's ridiculous. But, if it go-
0: so, but there are real situations also, where right. people are really scared. But it doesn't mean it has to I mean, it doesn't it doesn't mean you can't carve out some way to to meet both sides' interests in keeping the plaintiff feeling secure and safe and also not disrupting more than is necessary for the defense, especially when children are involved. It's it's kind of that same principle from 3553A. What outcome here or negotiation is enough to to do what's best for your client and for the situation and when kids are involved for the kids. But one point I want to bring up cuz you said plaintiffs can have free counsel through legal aid or the domestic violence center there is no free counsel for the defense.
1: No. No, you don't get How a public lopsided defender either. is that.
0: You don't get a public defender. Yeah. Defense the defendants have to pay for their lawyers yet and any sometimes plaintiff Sometimes pay for the plaintiff's lawyers.
1: And you know and pay for the pers- cost of the case. I have represented people who are defendants in PFAs where clearly The uh, plaintiff has valid concerns. Um, Plaintiff is going to get the PFA. And then it's incumbent upon defense counsel to be reasonable, to be practical with the client and to advise the client, listen, you're going to lose. We can try to negotiate some of these conditions, but in the length of a PFA, but we're not going to go through a hearing even though you hate that person. You, you You did engage in conduct, which meets the definition of abuse. My problem is with the other side, and not with lawyers like you who are going to be um, practical and and ethical with their clients. It's the fact of these cases that are used that they weaponize the PFA, they make ridiculous allegations, they throw as much crap against the wall as they can over the course of a 15 or 20 year marriage or relationship, and then the gatekeepers fail. And that's where PFA litigation needs to be, and I would think that it would be procedurally, needs to be addressed.
0: I think any extreme needs to be addressed, and that's where a judge's discretion really matters, and that's where you hope a judge isn't um, too biased to one side, can be a real fact finder, and really analyze what's the best way to approach this situation. And typically, I think there there was an uptick in PFAs with COVID, now that we're coming out of COVID, I think judges are taking a more practical approach. But originally, I mean, there were so many filed. You're in the packed courtrooms with them.
1: I don't know, man. I think there are certain judges that give out temporary PFA orders like they're candy. They're just going to give them. And I'll read it and I'll be like, Are you? did you even read this? Well, I... I'm not naming names. I'm, uh,
0: I've seen that. And I've also seen some things that give me hope.
1: Good. You're so much more optimistic than I am, but... You know, I'm entitled to be cynical.
0: You're entitled to have any feeling you want to have. At
1: least I didn't have murder on my mind during Christmas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about on this topic? No, you know, I
1: vented. We probably should have. We've now done three episodes today. Probably should have You're not started. supposed to say that. I know, but we should have started with this one because now I ended. You ended and you got me all riled up well pete
0: says that uh, i just got out of a trial for a a cyf appeal oh they're
1: terrible too
0: and that's another angle of lack of due process uh way far off of pfas have lack of due process with the ex parte hearings and and no free defense counsel cyf appeals cps appeals child line appeals are next level lack of due process a lot of
1: times the client is is fighting both of those battles.
0: And a criminal allegation. And a criminal allegation. But that's a topic for a different day. It is. All right. I think that's it for this episode of Subject to Cross. Um, we're looking forward to seeing you all in the new year, 2024.
1: Send in suggested topics, right? Yeah. is that what you normally say now? Well,
0: I always forget, and I always get scolded. So thank you for reminding yeah. me. Email us at cross at Send us your comments. Send us your thoughts. I've got send a... me
1: suggestions on what to do with Hermie. In no more
0: abuse. It's really Pete's way. Of... I think you
1: should get a PFA order for Hermie. See if a judge will actually grant it. I, absolutely
0: not. Yeah. That will never happen. You made me lose my train of thought. Oh, we've heard a lot of feedback, and I've from various people, lawyers, lay people that. Uh, a lot of people are listening to this
1: which surprises me it does
0: surprise me too it's kind of fun so please tell us what you want us to talk about i was gonna say tell us what you want us to say but yeah. we're not puppets tell yeah. us what you want us to talk about hermy is hermy's a puppet okay just lay off Hermie. enjoy the rest of your 2023 thank you for listening to subject across we look forward to 2024 and send us your your thoughts and comments signing off signing off